Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, and we focus on Magic Arena. Well, everyone, we've been stuck at home for quite a while. Hopefully, you've been playing a lot of Magic in any form, whether it is Standard, Modern, Pioneer, Popper, Commander, etc., or some good old Magic Arena. So, I've got a return guest to the podcast where we'll talk about various aspects of magic in the past, present, and future. Please welcome back, Alan. How's it going, everyone? Glad to have you back. It's been a little while. Last time you were on the podcast, you were about to uh, get a, get get uh, some promotion on, on magic. You were a featured streamer, I believe. Yeah, that was, uh, was a few months ago. Yeah, it's been a little while, but it's, uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, thanks. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show again. Would you like to self-promote a little bit? Any uh, streams or YouTube or anything you'd like to share, Twitter and such? Yeah. Um, right now, uh, t- the uh, stream is twitch.tv slash dragosimtg. Uh, Twitter is at esportsalan, esports, A-L-A-N. Um, and recently, kind of a cool thing, just to kind of also promote... Um, I recently got picked up by uh, an organization called Rebel Esports, and so mm. now I'm on their Magic the Gathering team with a couple of other uh, folks from the arena community. Uh, Shinogi is uh, their their first Magic player, um, and then I'm also with Praetor MP- MTG and uh, Shnan. Mm. Um, those two guys are from Germany. Uh, they were all super. They're all super cool dudes, and uh, so yeah, we're we're now a, an official an official team so that's kind of a cool thing to to check out as well oh that is really cool congrats on that how long ago did it happen um actually last week uh interestingly <sighs> enough we like last week we kind of uh, sat down and we talked about kind of what it would look like to be a team and what kind of uh what <laughs> we each envisioned uh for a team and it kind of it's you know all the the stars aligned and the the thoughts you know and visions aligned with that and so yeah uh the, the rebel um as an organization they're traditionally in the fps genre they mm. have like a, a gears of war team and and whatnot and stuff too so like they're they're just jumping into this um world of magic esports and so mm. you know right now we're kind of you know feeling our way through it and, and figuring out okay what kinds of things are uh we as players going to be um expected of by the organization and then vice versa what kind of things that you know, would we want to have that would make our experience, you know, in the organization better and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we're just kind of working our way through that. But we uh, we we officialized or we officially were announced on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so our technically our first um, event as a team was the arena open mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. We'll get into the details of that, but it sounds yeah. pretty cool that you're you're part of a, a team and all of that. So I guess you you've all uh, had chats and developed like the strat the best strategies to crush all your opponents by now. Yeah, I mean we're 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 kind of right now looking at it because uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, the uh, the Red Bull Untapped Germany event is coming up. Yeah, and both uh, our German our, our German counterparts, uh, uh, Prater and Shannon, they both have also qualified for the Mythic Invitational qualifier um, at the end of the month through through hitting Mythic. Um, mm-hmm. So they we were talking today kind of about like what is new standard going to look like uh come you know thursday when the new bands and the companion change come into effect and we were just kind of theorizing what's gonna look good um and so we have a few ideas floating around that we might be 
comfortable with and and mm -hmm. so we're we're expecting to to do pretty well coming into the next you know set of of arena seasons here yeah i i heard people chattering online saying well it's going to feel like a brand new standard again with some of these changes do you kind of see it that way that it's that big of an open field even though it's two pieces which are obviously big pieces of standard but do you think it's like a whole new playing field with uh, the new changes coming up this thursday Actually, yeah, it happened last week because this. Oh, yeah, what not a well, yeah. it happened yesterday. This pad uh, behind peeking behind the curtain today. The podcast is yeah. releasing on Friday. It happened yesterday. You know, time it doesn't exist. Yeah, time time's a myth. Um, <laughs> I I fully expect that. Interestingly enough, we're going backwards. Not necessarily hoping to a new at least for the first you know couple of weeks. We're not going to be exploring brand new decks right away. We're actually going to mm -hmm. be going back to decks of old um, that were tried and true, and that because the companion change is so massive um that things like team of reclamation and um bent ramp and, and whatnot in the, the azor or the uh the rakdos or jund sacrifice face decks right mm -hmm. all those that weren't necessarily impacted too heavily by the companion change are going to be the decks that kind of rise to the top and and stay there for a little while until somebody figures out okay what is the next iteration of I don't know what's the next best broken deck to play. Is it still <laughs> going to be the Jun deck is, or the the Jun Sacrifice deck? Is it Team or Adventures? Um, is it Blue White Control? Kind of what what does that next you know tier of decks look like? But I expect that we're going to see probably four or five of the old decks from Standards Past mm -hmm. rise to the top uh, and and kind of stick around for a few weeks. Yeah, that's interesting. Like dusting off the old classics and see if there's still hits. Yeah, I mean, they're still even even now they're still like they're still relevant, right? They're, mm -hmm. It's not like the Jun Sacrifice deck is definitely in the tier one tier one position um, as far as the meta con is concerned, um, and, and then like uh, Blue Eye Control is also kind of is up there as well. Mm -hmm. um, Bant Ramp and Team of Reclamation, Team of Adventures, all these float within the tier one, tier one point five, maybe tier two mm -hmm. strategies, and I expect that once the big hitters of you know luca and winota and agent of treachery and fires go away we will start to see those kind of creep back up into the top again and um just because sacrifice is such a consistent you know so i think sacrifice really is such a consistent um consistent you know strategy that mm. it's going to be kind of one of the ones to beat yeah, I think, you know, thinking about it, reasoning it out that way, I think that's exactly true in, in terms of maybe people sometimes think I've got to master this tier one deck. But yeah, there's still tier 1.5, tier two that can still kind of work because I made it up to uh, Diamond 3 um, this past season using the, uh, the, the Team of Reclamation, the one that was kind of... Uh, important back on the last Mythic Championship, which now you don't, I guess you don't hear about it as much, but I use that one to get back from whatever it was, like silver yeah. up to diamond. It's still there. It's just that people think, yeah, it's the, this is the one that everyone's on their lips. Yeah, we'll try something else that's not quite on everyone's lips and that's still going to give you some good results. Yeah, the Reclamation deck is one where it's, uh, I, I call it, it's like the players, like the players deck, like the guy, the people who have really spent the time to really learn mm -hmm. and grind out like the the matches with the deck right like they're the ones who are having the most success with it for people like myself i don't have that experience with the reclamation i just have never picked the deck up really mm -hmm. um like i could never play that deck because it is very complicated there yeah. are a lot of play patterns and whatnot to go with it and, and so like those those there's a very you know anybody can do well with those decks you just have to put the time and you have to know the play patterns and so um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely somewhat something that is uh, 
we've seen a lot of people also other other you know like professionals and whatnot also have great success with the deck too mm -hmm. yeah when i was first putting it together well we all got a chance to play with everyone's decks remember there was that event before the, oh, the mythic yeah. championship we got to play with everyone's decks and i was kind of bouncing around between different ones and i ended up going with the autumn burchette version of it and i thought well this is this is complicated it's you know three colors it's got a lot of interaction but i i kept going kept coming back at it uh, during that event and then after the event was over I, I was trying to put it together with my own wild cards and it took a little while uh, to get all the wild cards for because I just do the grinding I don't I don't usually put money into the game but I do it through grinding and you know completing the dailies and all of that and I was putting it together slowly uh, over time and and I and I was getting better at it and again that got me to that point and so I totally agree with you on that about like it's it's not as far as like well any deck's gonna get you where you need to go not not that far but it's gonna be any deck that you master or any deck that you understand pretty well and better than your opponents I think that can get you pretty far. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's really kind of having a good understanding of what what you're doing, right? Right. Like Magic is not a game where you can very quickly hop around <laughs> from game from from deck to deck and expect to do well. I mean, there are probably some people who can do that, but generally, yeah. you need to spend time and and have you know get you know good and good repetitions with these decks to really understand them because not everything is mono red, and even mono red even has some some interesting pat like play patterns when they're played at even higher you know higher yeah. levels than you know your average mm. average player, right? So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know you got to put the time in exactly well, speaking of time uh we all seem to or many of us seem to have a lot of time on our hands because we've got a lot of uh stay-at-home orders in many parts of the of the country and the world and um yeah. if we can take a little moment like do you have any positive thoughts or advice or anything about like what we're all going through at the moment yeah i mean i honestly i i encourage everybody who um, who is feeling down, who's feeling a little bit, you know, lonely or, or what have you, because we were all cooped up at home. Mm -hmm. Um, a good, the one thing that, you know, a group of my friends and I did is that we all got together and we joined a discord server and we play tabletop simulator or, or you know, party games on steam, mm -hmm. you know, on, a, on, on the weekends or Friday night. Um, and it's usually, it's a good way to associate, you know, just to keep, you know, see friends um see their faces and, and interact with them um because we can't do that in person and so like that's a great great thing to do also like doing my so that's my non-magic group of friends and then my magic group of friends we all play you know we brawl we play brawl together we play <laughs> we do laddering and deck building and stuff together on arena um and you know we play other games as well too uh, so i i encourage anybody who is kind of having those issues or, or who's experiencing some you know like loneliness or or, or distressed during these you know crazy times um find a way to you know interact with your friends whether especially like online is a great way to do it whether it's over xbox you know xbox live or playstation now or what have you right find find that way to interact with people um digitally and it will make a world of difference and then for the for the people who are also feeling like the uh, uh cabin fever uh, mm -hmm. i've found recently uh, that going on runs is actually not a bad idea. It actually is is kind of nice, and it's uh, it's nice to get out, you know, exercise a little bit, keep yourself, you know, going, and keep your body moving, and getting out to at least see this, you know, feel the sunshine and and, and the fresh air and whatnot mm. is also it's always a great thing. I completely agree on both. We have the ability nowadays with technology to reach out to friends and family that was 
you know, pretty hard to do even just a few years ago, or especially when we're when we were a little younger. And now we have the ability to get on a Discord server, do Xbox Live chat, we can do WhatsApp, we can do Zoom, we can do all that stuff, and then see each other. And it's not as good as being in person, of course, but still reaching out with those human connections. I think that definitely is a way to stave off some of the the bad feelings that may come up during this time. I had a birthday party uh, oh, for my friend Vicky a few weeks ago, and we all, on our side of the camera, we all got ourselves a little birthday cake in her honor, you know, like a little cupcake with a candle sort of thing. And we, we all uh, sung her happy birthday that way and then hung out on, on camera for a little while, and it's still doable. We can still be together even though we're apart. Yeah, that's really that's that's actually pretty awesome. Um, the other thing I also too that I found interestingly for me is picking up a new hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I've started kind of getting down uh, into the world of uh, custom mechanical keyboards. Yeah. Oddly enough, it's it's a very very niche like little hobby, but there's so much like depth and there's some like streamers on twitch who hmm. are keyboard builders and they make keyboards for other like bigger streamers and stuff like that so um like they like there's a guy who i follow teha types he made he made a keyboard for tifu who's like this i guess he's a big like uh fortnite streamer hmm. and for scara and for the guys for offline tv and so like he he builds these keyboards that's his job and that's what he does for for twitch is is build keyboards and so i've been down this rabbit hole of just wanting mm-hmm. to build my own custom mechanical keyboard but it's not cheap it's expensive but there are some things you can do to kind of like jump into that hobby at a at a budget you know price point and kind of get the some of the experience of doing it yeah. yeah it's finding finding like a cool hobby or something new um that you know you weren't doing before could also uh, be a great use of time well that's cool thanks for sharing that i think getting people's opinions on these topics is very important because what you know what someone thinks about or what someone's idea is might not be what someone else is so if we share it all i think we'll all get to some interesting concepts well on the main topic of the podcast about magic with a focus on magic arena let's uh, catch up a little bit since you've been on the podcast uh, back in 2019 just a kind of a quick overview about um how was your your life in in magic in the year 2019 um i think you know it was pretty good actually um got a lot of time to you know aside from uh you know aside from doing uh, the streams and whatnot, and and so like by finding out that I was going to be featured. So I, I was <laughs> featured in January, right? So it was right in in the middle of January is when I got my feature stream. <laughs> but throughout a 2019, doing all of the streamer preview events and whatnot, and and you know just having having being able to actually like you know play Commander with my friends and actually you know <laughs> it was it was all really good. I got to you can go to Commander Fest um, in Chicago, which was awesome. That was a really cool experience. I mean, I I missed going to big events. I used to go to things um, to like Star City Games events and Grand mm-hmm. Prix. Uh, so going to Command Fest was really cool, and 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 um, getting to do that. So yeah, a lot of a lot of cool things happened in 2019. I definitely enjoyed it um, a lot. Did you go to any pre-releases for sets in 2019? I think I was. Um... Was War of the Spark in 2019? Yeah, that was that was uh, I believe in January or May. April, one of the first. Yeah, I, yeah, actually, yeah, Ravnica Allegiance was first in 2019, and then in April yeah. was War. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think I did Ravnica Allegiance and I did War of the Spark, both mm. um, pre-releases. Those were those were fun. Oh, cool. I, I only got a chance to go out to the War of the Spark one, uh, and that was pretty fun. Having played the cards digitally and with those planeswalkers digitally yeah. and then having to do it manually in real life that that's always kind of cool to see those kind of two versions of of magic and so i only got a chance to go to one in 2019 uh and then one in 2020 but uh it was going to be my my resolution for 2020 to go to each one this year but okay i've been uh, one out of two so far but i, I right. think everyone else can say the same thing there so yeah cool so 2019 was pretty good for you in 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 magic then uh what's uh What's a set that you liked in 2019? We don't have to limit it to just the stuff in standard on Arena, but anything that came out in 2019, which was, uh, by my count, about 7,002 products or so. Yeah, there is there is a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I th think, honestly... Uh, so, okay, I'll, I'll say this. For as far as a standard set... Um, I personally, so I, I always ha will have a love of the Ravnica stuff. <laughs> um, so Ravnica, Allegiance, and War of the Spark coming out, those were great. Um, th but Throne, I think, Throne of Eldraine hit a very special kind of mark, and a special kind of point for me in that like the flavor of that set was super good. <laughs> um, and it was really, really enjoyable to see. Um, kind of these like you know fairy tale esque things you know being brought into this different light and um, so that was one that I really loved uh, and then from the other from the supplemental product side of things um, as well I think what was uh, UMA was this was that 2019 I think UMA was 2019 Ultimate Masters I think it was 2018 because the oh, people have been talking about how the new Double Masters is about to be almost two years since its last. Masters oh, was, set. Uh, was it Modern Horizons? Was Modern Horizons, yeah, that was 2019, yeah. Yeah, that was also a really great, um, a really great set too. Like that was, that was also really, really, really well done. I thought that they brought a lot of really fun cards, a lot of things that I like to do in Commander. Uh, they brought to to the table, so I, yeah, I thought that that was also a really cool set. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, I think honestly, uh, Throne Throne of Eldraine might have been the set that i think i loved the most out of out of all of it it's i i would agree and i i it's a little bit of a shame that they've gone to the staying on one plane for one set model i guess uh yeah so it would have been cool to see a little bit more of eldraine but throughout the whole history of magic it used to be three sets and then people were fatigued yeah. by the third then they went to two sets for a few years and now they're going to one set so we'll see how it goes it's always changing but yes yeah. i liked eldraine a lot as well and i think one of the reasons that i liked it was uh, i was at san diego comic-con at mark rosewater's panel where he announced it oh, in a cool. crowd of people and that was the very first time that i had ever been to any of his talks at comic-con i've been going to comic-con for years but i wasn't into magic for a long time until i got back into it in 2017 but i didn't even know that he did any panels in 2017 and 2018 i don't know i just wasn't on my radar so i didn't go to it either but 2019 i thought okay i'm back into magic i'm sticking around with it i'm gonna go to his panel i'm gonna wait in line you know one of those famous san diego comic-con lines i'm gonna wait outside there and get in and then i did and i got a terrible seat of course but i was in there <laughs> and uh he announced it and the crowd was eating it all up and it was pretty amazing and and then to actually then see and play the cards, I think that influenced why I liked the set, but I liked it for the mechanics and 
the story and the art, not so much Oko, but everything else was really good all about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the thing for me that I love the most about it was um, Fires of Invention was is is my favorite <laughs> card out of the set by by bar none. Um, it is it's it's my favorite archetype um, in standard is always going to be like Jeskai Super Friends or Jeskai Control. Uh -huh. And so with Fires of Invention giving us a way to effectively. Uh, it changed up the way we thought about how some of these decks were played um, mm -hmm. and, and really gave us a very powerful tool for some of these control decks. Um, yeah, it was, it, yeah, that was, that was really what like solidified it. Um, well, that's yeah, definitely that a fascinating card in terms of yeah. it gives you, it sort of like lets you ramp plus cheat mana sort of, but then it limits yeah. you to two spells that the rest of the turn and people might think, well, that's a limitation, only two spells and you're limited to only on your turn and all these limitations, but it's so good right. that as of the podcast today, it just got banned. It, you know, it's, yeah. it's not available anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, it, yeah, it's like if, but if it, yes, it's two spells, but if those two spells are, yeah, handed, you exactly. know, it's, 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 it's that's kind of all okay. you need. Mm -hmm. It's all you need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that doesn't then detract from you actually using your mana since you can't cast more spells but you've got a lot of great activated abilities that you can still tap into right right which was kind of the interesting thing right is like going through and as you're building with each iteration with each new set that would come out right we would be looking at okay how do we build the fire stack how do we make it so that like what do we use to sink our mana into because we had we knew what spells we were going to be casting we knew what spells were going to be good but we needed to find out what were those mana sinks and so things yeah. the lands um, like the castle cycle of lands in in, mm. or in um, Eldraine, where are are now the mainstays, you know, ways of, of doing that. Um, yeah. You know, being able to either make a token to block or to scry, um, all the more important, you know, for for those decks and especially mm. now, um, you know, since the the recent iterations of them have gone up to like eighty cards, so it's like <laughs> yeah, you need to have that kind of card selection. Now, previous guests that I've asked the same question to, the consensus seems to be that the ranking is favorite of 2019, Throne of Eldraine, number two, War of the Spark, number three, Ravnica Allegiance, and then number four, the core set. Would you, what, what do you think about that ranking? Um, you know, actually, I liked the core set a lot. I liked Core 2020 a lot. Mm -hmm. um, core 2020 had some of my... I, oh, I completely... Mm. Cord, so Core 2020 is very, very close to Eldraine uh -huh. for being like one of my like my favorite of the of the year because the the cards in Core 2020 that were huge for me or all these cards I made commander decks out of right so Golos mm -hmm. was big one yeah. Um, and uh the new omnath was a big one i played field of the dead and i play field of the dead and like every, any deck i can yeah. um like those were those are some of the big and then obviously now agent of treachery being being what it is and like those are the big you know meaningful cards that were huge in my commander experience um and i tried to play them in in standard i guess and i played them in standard during their time mm -hmm. um and and whatnot but it, it, it was yes it's a core set but they had a lot of really sweet cards in them i think that that was probably yes probably very close to my you know like for my second favorite oh that's cool i think people ranked it 
the way that I had said, because the other ones had such a strong identity where a corset is often yeah. a mishmash, which is not a bad thing at all. I like right. that there's a bunch of different cards for different players, for beginning players. Like, here's the set that you need to get into if you're new, because this teaches you, it just reminds you what flying means. But then it also right. had stuff like, what, Graft Digger's Cage was in there, I guess. And yeah. um, just a lot of good stuff. Veil of Summer was in there, I guess. And yep, Veil um, of Summer was in there, and and uh, I think the ley lines were in yeah. there. Or were the ley lines in? I think yeah, I think so because they're still played on 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 standard, right? People play them still. Uh, I see people do the yeah line, yeah yeah. The course, yeah, I was in course at twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and the, oh, yeah, so the ley lines also being in there. Yeah, there's a lot of really good cards in that set. Um, that yeah, and I and I agree. And only I think probably the only reason why it doesn't edge out Eldraine is just because yeah, like Eldraine had an identity, it had uh, a theme that go that went around it, and it was a really cool theme. And and of course that was just you know it's just the kind of the the hodgepodge and mishmash of cards. Mm-hmm. Did you get very many in real life cards uh, compared to previous years? Yes, I've. So I think the time I don't think I've ever owned more cards than i have mm-hmm. uh, had in 2019 um and and mostly because all of the times that i've ever been able to play paper magic and whatnot i was working at an, a local game store and so i was able to borrow cards and and play with them whether it be at for events or for just commander or whatever i was able to you know usually borrow cards and and then i just sort them back into stock later on mm-hmm. um and so i've never lightly really played, never, i hope huh lightly played i hope uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I always took like the, the, the worst condition, obviously, of the, because we, we also, a lot of the times we did online um, yeah. sales as well, too, so I kept the lower, or I, I, I pulled the lower rarity stuff to, <laughs> to play with, but mm. or the lower condition stuff to play with, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I never owned as many cards as I had this year, and then this year, or not this year, uh, 2019, I ended up, I think I had, I think, four commander decks at one point, mm. and very few cards shared between yeah. Um, between them, uh, so yeah, I had, I had Omnath, I had Golos, I had um, Gearhead, which was that the Naya tokens pre pre constructed mm-hmm. commander, mm-hmm. and then I also had um, Yannette, which was the the Esper Odd tri- uh, Odd Cost Tribal um, commander, mm-hmm. and so I had those four, and I ultimately ended up consolidating two of the decks together into. Uh, I consolidated uh, the Omnath deck into the Golos deck because they were effectively doing the same thing. They were effectively both lands decks, and then and then Golos just kind of became at this monstrosity of I'm going to play Omniscience, <laughs> I'm going to play uh, you know uh, Minds Dilation, I'm going to play Warp World, I'm going to play all these ridiculous spells, and, and people just <laughs> weren't a fan of of when I mm. when I Warp Worlded for the third time in the game for the third uh, time. <laughs> But yeah, I don't think I've ever gotten three times. But I think if, if I ever had the opportunity to cast it a second time, I think everyone, the table, just kind of scooped it up and said, "Let's go to the next game." Well, and so, that was all before you would be able to like copy it with Lutri or get into it with faster with Gigantha, right? Oh yeah, this was yeah, this was this was even before. Oh yeah, this was this was before Ikoria or there even before Theros came out. Even uh-huh, actually, yeah. um, I I, I kind of we I stopped. We basically stopped playing Commander before Theros Beyond Death came out and. We were, yeah, we were all sheltered in, so. Yeah. One of the things that that I am hearing is that on 
previous podcasts, with previous episodes, with previous guests, is that they they are playing also more, or they were playing more paper. Um, so I think the alarmists that were saying, well, here's the death of paper magic because it's digital and better and flashier. I don't think that's here yet, but I think yeah. I saw that for myself as well, too, even though, like I said, I only went to one pre-release in 2019. Uh, I did try to collect a complete set of each standard set that came out little by little. Oh. And so one of the things that I like to do is, okay, I play with these cards on Arena and maybe I play with a deck often or jump around or whatever, but there's so many cards that you don't play with. But one thing that I like to do is flip through my notebook and say, oh, I remember this card. I remember when I cracked this card and people thought it might have been something and it became nothing or this one that no one thought was going to be good. And then some time passed and the meta said, no, actually it is good. So I kind of like flipping through the through my notebooks to see these are the these are the these are the cards these are the real cards that are the important are one of the important sides of magic not just the digital side of it but the real paper side which links up with the gathering of it all and i thought that yeah. was uh, just a testament to to magic's endurance yeah i mean definitely i mean i i, I mean, people are always going to want to play with paper right magic is a social game hmm. um it's something that you know we're, we're never going to get away from it and and in one way or another i mean Truth be told, I, I people will always love to play even older formats, right? People will love to play modern. People will love to play legacy and vintage and whatnot, mm -hmm. right? And that's not never coming to arena, like at least not in any in, in the any you know near time future, any foreseeable future. Those formats are just not happening on arena. It's mm -hmm. just too many cards to program, and that's not the you know the five year business model or what have sure, you, or, yeah. or the development roadmap plan for for them right now. So like. You know, there's there has to be paper events still too. I mean, not everybody we're not everybody's going to be happy if they move to Magic Online as the only option to play Modern or the only option to play Legacy or Vintage, which unfortunately is kind of already happening there. But yeah, um, you know, it's it's something that there there has to be paper still. It's it's never it's not going to go away for you know at least you know if at all like you know ten years at least. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I think so. And as they continue to explore new spaces or go back to familiar spaces, there's always a well to tap into or a new well to tap into. So one that did both was we got back to Theros. This was the first return to Theros. So now we need to talk about original Theros versus Theros Beyond Death. You know, we need to make that distinction where we were always making the distinction, original Ravnica, return to Ravnica, and now return to return to return to Ravnica. So we've got the uh, return to Theros, Theros Beyond Death. So in general, uh, any thoughts on, on Theros Beyond Death? Um, I really loved the set um, a lot. I, I played the most competitive magic um, during... So Theros was kind of like the tail end of a lot of my like massive competitive um, magic playing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of getting to see some of these mechanics come back and see some really iconic cards like... Um, like you know, uh, Gray Merchant come back and mm -hmm. Dash Yaks come back in in different iterations and stuff, um, and seeing kind of the Enchantress style like themes come back too, and all the the auras and uh, the enchantment creatures like that was all mm -hmm. really really cool to see, and it was really cool to also see them tie in the sagas into uh, into these into the set from Dominaria, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, just very overall like this was a really really cool. Um, set in a really well done kind of throwback and, and you know 
continuation of of like the story quote unquote if you will yeah. um of theros so yeah it was it, it was really cool really really liked it i think a return can be a great chance to look at what worked and do it again or better or take something that didn't work and possibly make it work so uh escape the brand new mechanic to uh kind of like flashback things or uh right. not flashback what, what is it there? Uh, yeah it's flashback i was thinking buyback yeah. versus flashback but yeah flashback so um it was a way to kind of bring things back from the graveyard to use over and over it had the great style it had the great kind of like lore of it about things are coming back from the underworld elspeth's coming back from the underworld so that was like a new thing we had uh return to devotion uh and uh constellation so a little bit of the old a little bit of new and yeah I think that's. Uh, I think they did a great job on that too. Yeah, and I think they struck a really good balance, particularly within the last within the last Theros set. Um, really, kind of devotion was kind of the big broken mechanic that uh, kind of took over, right? <laughs> and mono black devotion, mono green devotion were, and mono blue devotion were all really powerful um, decks back in their day in standard. And so they've struck a decent balance with it this time. There isn't a broken card like Nykthos in the set that just like cranks devotion up. And it's actually less more about, um, you know, trying to make an absurd amount of devotion and just more about kind of tempoing out and keeping a decent, like, you know, an average amount of devotion on the table and more, you know, about as much as you would play or have if you were just playing cards on curve. Um, Mm -hmm. and then your payoff was, Grey Merchant, and it, it's much less potent now. Um, still potent, but not much, much less potent than it was when you had things like Nykthos running around where you could, you know, de- generate, call it, 15 mana on mm-hmm. Devotion um, through Nykthos and then untap it and do it again um, in, in, like, the mono green shells um, mm-hmm. or in the green-red Devotion shells, right? And so, yeah, it, they, they struck a really nice balance, and it felt overall fairly... Um, the the mechanics of the set were for fairly e- even keel across the board. It never took off, but I was trying to play mono black devotion this time around in uh, Theros Beyond Death, and I went through a few different shells, and I I thought it was fun. I didn't think it was a very tier deck, even though there was one month where it did kind of get me kind of far, and then suddenly it stopped. I don't know. I stopped getting good matchups, or my luck ran out, or I don't know what. But uh, for one month, yeah. it kind of worked well, and I thought that was pretty fun. With yeah, there's like that. There, there's a payoff. Uh, you're summoning. You're summoning Grey Merchant, which is what a two four or a two five. It's uh, two four. So, two, so one of the payoffs is okay. You're summoning a two four, but it's going to do all that great damage and gain you life. And then there's also yeah. um, Bolus of Citadel. So that was also you gain so much life. Yeah. What are you going to do with that life? Well, start to then top deck so many amazing things until you hit that next land. Right. Yeah. I mean, and also like you, like you said, like there was a an iteration of the deck that um it was very it was there for a little bit um and it was it it really took on a style of closer to like mono black sacrifice like it started Mm -hmm. playing things like the cat oven combo and um and then it was also playing like yarrick's fen lurker Mm -hmm. and so you had a good uh uh, and then um ayara and as what and whatnot as well too like you had some good devotion type mechanics um or cards to to play um but it's i think that the meta around it kind of evolved past that deck a little bit and and the sacrifice decks turned into kind of the more faster paced aggressive style sacrifice yeah. decks um that had the sacrifice payoffs in other colors that were not just black 
Um, so yeah, but it, it was cool. It's it's actually cool that Mono Black uh, is now a, a pretty good deck, or I expect it to be a pretty good deck in modern, uh, or not a modern, uh, historic mm. very soon. Yeah, uh, I think because we've also got, I guess, like Brain Maggot, turn one. Yeah. Play yep, there. Brain Maggot. You also have Frexian Obliterator oh, in yeah, Historic yeah. now, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot to... Uh, were you playing back when Frexian Obliterator was in Standard? No, I, I came back to Magic in 2017. Yeah. So Frexian... Do you know do you know what the card is? Yeah, the five, oh, yeah. Uh, five mana, five, 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 I guess. And then you deal yeah. damage and you have to sacrifice your own permanence. Right, yeah. So whenever something deals damage to it, um, that, that whoever dealt the damage to it... Yeah sacrifices permanence right yeah. so yeah but that but like four devotion on a five five in mono black like that's crazy and then you <laughs> you curve out like uh um uh the knight the what's the one the one mana one two um knight the, of the ebon legion yeah yarks fen lurker ayara frexing <laughs> obliterator and then gray merchant and like you just <laughs> blow them up for uh Everything. what is that four six <laughs> nine eleven twelve 12 devotion on turn yeah. five like mm-hmm. just that's crazy that's living the dream yeah that's that's living the dream right there and that's the kind of deck that that i like you know i i, I like overall i like blue black black white or mono black you know the common denominator yeah. is black I, I i like that kind of color it's philosophy it's weird cards it's unfair cards and such um but uh yeah i i think uh, i've i've started to run into a few more people doing obliterator definitely so you got to exile yeah. that thing or else you're going to be suffering yeah it's interesting enough too also people have been playing it in green black mm-hmm. green black obliterator and so i think that they and they play um there's a remove there's a spell that was in icoria um that was called back for more mm-hmm. that you reanimate it from the graveyard and then you make it fight something and then you make your opponent sacrifice permanence oh okay yeah yeah so that's that's kind of cool but yeah like having having like that mono black mono black i i played uh mono black and blue black like zombies back in when they were in standard in uh oh goodness when was this 2000 11 maybe when um when it was avison restored or like avison and, and original innistrad block and mm. uh um the uh or, or and then yeah scars block scars and, and avison uh those two those two blocks had a really cool like mono black um zombies mm. deck that played obliterator and, and then we also had like liliana of the veil and some other really cool um, we had zombie lords and stuff in there too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was like, ha- having Obliterator come back was super cool for me. What do you think about having one of the Ulamogs come back in Historic? Oh, love it! I love it. <laughs> we were. I was waiting. I was waiting for some big, dumb payoff creature to show up in in the format. Like everything has felt so tame as far <laughs> as Historic is concerned. And now that with this new with this new Historic anthology coming out, like. The doors have been blown wide open. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Everything about it. So when they started to reveal 
Historic Anthology 3, they led with those, uh, Obliter uh, Phyrexian Obliterator and Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger, right? Um, yeah. They led with those. So so then everyone's like, wow, if those, if they're talking about those, what else is going to be in this? And I and I thought for a moment, what if they put the other two Eldrazi just so that everyone oh, can have their own Eldrazi friend in there? But I guess what? One's enough because, you know, yeah. summon it, oh, yeah. exile two things, and then attack, and then 20 things exiled more. GG. Yeah. I've been trying to play with a just like a really weird fast ramp. You know, I didn't. I was. I'm not using Luca. I should probably use Luca. But I've been trying to do a like totally get an Ulamog out as fast as possible with just a ton of uh, mana artifacts. And I'm doing it like I'm. I'm doing it so inefficiently. It's just a lot of land, a lot of mana artifacts to get into there. And of course, I should really be putting you know Llanowar Elves and Luca. And yeah. Ugin's so like in there's, there, a, but... there's a. At least it'll probably change, um, but there was a there's a red green Obash list mm -hmm. that's playing. Uh, you're basically you play one drops and three drops, and then Luca, and you don't play any other creatures all the way up until you find Ulamog. Yeah, and your goal is to just you know go like Llanowar Elf turn one, and then like Gruul Spellbreaker or something on turn three mm -hmm. or on turn two. Um, and then you find you you know find a way you get some damage in, stick a Luka, and flip that um, the Ghoul Spellbreaker into an Ulamog. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I expect that actually that since Luka did not get banned in Historic, there's going to be probably some iteration of that deck that has like a haste enabler in it, so something like Rhythm of the Wild in there mm -hmm. um, to allow the Ulamog to get maximum value. I expected <laughs> it, it. It was a pretty good deck before. Crashing drawbridge, that's what'll do it. That's the artifact yeah. that you tap to give haste. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, there's a lot to, to choose from, uh, a lot of strategies. I like that they're filling things out with um, these historic, historic anthologies, and they're going to do remix sets, bring back some yep. of the Amonkhet stuff and Kalajas stuff. So, yep, lots of stuff to look forward to. And can you believe oh, it that we're in this point in in the year? At the one hand, we're, we're it's... We're recording right now, June second. This is obviously uh, releasing this Friday, June fifth. But we're barely in the sixth month of the year, and on the one hand, that's half—that's the halfway point of 2020. But on the other hand, it still feels like 2020, at least for me, just started. Obviously, yeah. because we've got the stay-at-home quarantine, all of that. But I just like feel like, wow, we're about to get into previews. Or actually, by the time this releases, I think we're seeing the very first preview, of course, of 2021. So. On the one hand, it's going fast, and on the other hand, it's going slow. What do you think about that? Like the pace of things in Magic? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think that I'm okay with the pacing of, of it so far. Um, I, I think that having, I so nothing gets me less excited than a stale format. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, I guess having now historic around and available to play as well when standard kind of gets boring it is nice to have or i guess maybe the other way around i'm gonna have standard to play when historic kind of gets gets boring mm. um it's nice to have right it's it's good to be able to be able to have a diverse form a diversity in formats um so having you know sets come out and previews it just gives me personally a lot of excitement in figuring out okay what's the next cool thing that we can be doing what's going to be broken what's going to be great um, and and me planning my decks early and and trying to you know feel out like or like feeling out what's going to be like potentially really good. So yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it. I I just found out today that twenty core twenty twenty one spoilers are going to be happening on or what happened yesterday. Yes. Um, 
but the like Ikoria just came out and Ikoria has been just a, a whirlwind of of <laughs> of emotions yeah. uh, as far as the set's concerned. Well, let's segue into that. Let's talk some Ikoria. What are general thoughts on on the newest set, the Ikoria Layer of Behemoths? So, I also, man, they they did so many cool things with this set mm-hmm. that I I just love. And I'm, I, I, it's gonna sound like I just I, like I'm not gonna like anything, or <laughs> I'm gonna love everything, and there's like nothing that I won't like about things. But I really love this set. Like they did such a good job yeah. with, especially like, and I know that some people may not like it, but like I. I'm not a big Godzilla like fanboy or anything like that, but I loved the Godzilla art cards. Like I thought they were super, super cool. And even more is that um, kind of like piggybacking off of like the cool things they did in Eldrain, the comic book arts for the cards in Ikoria are some of the most beautiful pieces of magic cards I've ever seen ever. Like the, the art is incredible on, on these comic book cards. And so like they nailed a ton with this set hmm. and like i i have i have nothing i have nothing bad to say like everything yeah. is great everything is great in this set well don't don't be ashamed of that at all you you've come to the right place this is a this is a place where i've drunk the kool-aid i'm the cheerleader for it all i i'm a sellout on the shell don't worry about it i want to hear all the good stuff about it as well yeah i enjoyed the this new set a lot too even though okay if you're like a really enfranchised player and you're like playing at the top 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 levels of things there's problems companions whatever okay let's put all that aside i'm such a, a tammy player sometimes it's like just give me that fun stuff fun monsters yeah. cool art uh, new card treatments okay yeah my wallet's hurting but uh, it's all like really cool and fun and that's why we're in it i think not not just for like winning but also for the fun of it and i love yeah. that comic book art and and i totally i'm i'm on board yeah i will say i will say like i was less of a hater of the companion mechanic um mm-hmm. than a lot of other people were um i thought that it was fine it was okay um clearly now it's it's obviously it's been it's been nerfed into the ground uh a lot of the a lot of the times of the ones that were problematic have been nerfed into the ground um so you know clearly was an issue um but you know it's it's something where you know they're not going to hit 100 percent of the time on some of these things i mean a lot of the times with like testing mechanics and whatnot like that's something that comes with you need like games have a beta test period for a reason is to test mechanics and and things like that but magic doesn't really have that because they have physical medium that they need to print yeah um and i think it'd be kind of interesting to actually have like closed beta tests like non like not like not like the streamer preview stuff but more like closed beta testing like during the R&D phases for for cards and stuff to mm-hmm. really really flush mechanics out and get people outside of like R&D um to really like look in look into like the mechanics of the sets because a lot of the times R&D is super focused on making the set work and sometimes they don't think about or they miss key interactions from sets past or, or what have you yeah. right so like having people to potentially come into quote unquote beta test a set, what I think would be a really cool idea, and you could potentially see a really solid mechanically sound set come out of uh, of that kind of experience. But from like a flavor perspective, from an art perspective, 
um, just like from some of the cards that were in here, like we got the full ultimatum cycle. Uh, yeah. uh, we've completed the ultimatum cycle basically now. Like yes, um, the the mythos cards, all the Seb McKinnon arts yeah. on the mythos cards were so cool. Uh, like there's just so much cool, so many cool things in this set, and with the return of cycling and the new mechanics of mutate and whatnot. Like there's there's so many good things about the set that you know it, it. I I personally feel it outweighs kind of the negative impacts of the set. I completely agree on on all of those points. I liked playing with the cards. I like the mutate of it. I like that there's these ten legendary companion creatures. Uh, do you ever do the the surveys that they put out on on the Magic website um, when those come out? Yeah, I do. I do them from time to time. There were um, a lot of the times when I see them, though, I see them on my phone, yeah. and then like I'm doing something else. Like I try to do it while I remember to do it, but so like I've missed a couple of them. But I do do them from time to time. Yeah, I ask that because it, it there was one recently uh, uh, last week or so about Ikoria and. It one of the questions in there that I often notice that they ask is, uh, on each of these phrases, please rate it from not agree at all to completely agree. And one of them is often in line like, I play magic because I like to pretend I'm someone else, or I like magic because I like to express my deck building. You know, these sorts right. of questions that are really about like the, you know, living magic, not just playing magic, but living magic. So. I, I think if they ask us those questions and people are, they don't really share the data, unfortunately, but if they, if people ask those, if people answer that and they get the responses about like, yes, I do like to pretend like, look at my companion, it's right over here waiting to pounce at the right time. I think that's part of the reason they do some of these interesting outside of the box things that sometimes then alter the power level, but it's a pendulum and sometimes we're swinging a little bit towards too much power and brokenness and sometimes we're swinging to the other side and just wait because there's always going to be that those two points and somewhere in the middle yeah i think i think that uh i'm very curious to see what core set 2021 brings just because it's something uh you know it, it we saw kind of the power level of a lot of the cards and the impact of a lot of the cards that 20, core 2020 had um you know clearly with agent of treachery and and whatnot and golos um and field of the dead and veil of summer all being like hot hot topic cards um that's interesting i think about that's three cards out of course at 2020 that have been banned in standard <laughs> uh curious to see what core 2021 has to bring um as far as like what kinds of cards are going to be printing there because they don't uh, the cool thing that's that's nice about the core set is that they're not beholden to any sort of theme or any sort of um you know aesthetic they can just kind of print the cards that they feel would be good to have in the set like in a set they can kind of mm -hmm. open up their design um you know space a little bit and, and figure out kind of what's what's cool because they don't have to worry about a theme or or you know uh, uh it lining up with uh, with the rest of of the set right they could just kind of go with it so they could try to hit a little bit of everything in terms of right. stuff for standard stuff for modern pioneer commander right. new players and entrenched players and so forth so it is kind of a playground in that sort of sense and as we saw with uh with 2020 there were there were some toys that were a little too strong but yeah. uh yeah we'll see where where we go with 2021 I just need to get yeah. used to calling it 2021. I just want to say 2020 all the time, but no, that was the last yeah. one. Yeah. 
I'm I'm actually kind of curious what your thoughts on this were on this band because we just had the BNR yeah. announcement for Standard and the change to the. Um, I know we've we've hinted at it throughout the podcast. We've kind of mentioned it throughout the podcast, but we may not, you know, we haven't specifically said what had happened. Um, but the core twenty or the uh, the the cards getting banned in Standard and Historic, so mm-hmm. Agent of Treachery and Fires of Invention being banned, and then as well as the mechanical change for. Um, the companions where now instead of being able to just cast them from exile whenever you'd like you have to pay three mana at sorcery mm-hmm. speed to add it to your hand and then you can cast it um like what do you what are your thoughts on those on those changes and the bands well i think it does definitely depower a lot of the companions i'm not like i i, I want to progress on the ladder but it's not like my main thing i want to just play fun weird stuff and uh i'm not like a person that wants to get in like a big tournaments and such so i think that's a little annoying that there's like an extra cost and you've got an ex- if you're playing if you're trying to play the companion on curve well you just lost a turn possibly because you have to pay just to get it to your hand and then it could be removed from your hand it could be countered and all of that so i understand what why they did it that perhaps some of the higher level level players were saying it was problematic i don't think it's going to affect me too much in what i like to play though but uh i guess they had to do what they had to do what about yourself Sounds good to say, since the 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 bands really kind of didn't didn't really affect you too much either, probably, huh? Yeah, yeah. For me, yeah. because uh, again, I'm not playing. Like, okay, Agent of Treachery. It's annoying when you get your stuff stolen, especially a land, sure. and you can see some shenanigans where you kind of blink it with Thassa and do it again in the same turn, and that's really a feel right. bad. But it's like, wow, they had to ban a seven mana card that when when the other pieces of it made it that bad but when else would you have to worry that much about what it what it would do and i guess because of the play pattern that it would steal all your good stuff that was feel bad enough yeah. and then winota okay that was that was interesting like okay attack with a non-human and then you get to go get humans off the top of your deck like that's i think that's very interesting but i guess people when you've got like the whole internet hive mind trying to figure out every possible interaction they're gonna say hey wait a minute you can do actually weird stuff like yeah yeah personally i think so i think that the companion change to kind of get that out of the way um is fine i think it's okay that's gonna make the it's going to favor control a lot more um because a lot of times control their use of a companion or in this case particularly Yorion, they're less beholden to needing Yorion anyways. And so they either are just going to stop playing Yorion altogether and just play go back to sixty card control. Um <laughs> or they're just going to wait until the late game where it doesn't really matter so much anymore that they can pay three mana to put Yorion in their hand, yeah. keep mana up to do whatever other shenanigans or counter magic or whatever the removal they need to do. And then, you know, play Yorion when it's convenient, right? Yeah. Um, the aggro decks, like you were saying, you lose out on tempo, you lose out on, um, you know, a whole turn of just trying to put this thing in, the, you know, companion in your hand to be able to use it. And mm-hmm. a lot of strategies were built around the ability to be able to have this companion effectively played on curve and yeah. being able to be a, have a, you know, have a powerful curve leading up to your companion. And so, yeah, some of these, you know, more aggressive focus decks like these you know lurus sacrifice decks or the mono white all that glitters um 
you know, Luris decks are, mm-hmm. are going to be a problem, are, are going to be pretty much gone, I would expect, or um, like maybe the Amori decks are not nearly as powerful anymore um, because you're wanting to cast creatures every turn, stuff like that, right? We may, we may see some of the other companions who are not nearly as um, played as much come, come to the forefront now um, and start to see some play, but... Uh, I think it's overall just a fine. It's a fine change. I think it needed to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it definitely, you know, kind of seeing kind of the state of of it. Now, for the bands, on the other hand, I have a lot to say about the bands. <laughs> I think, as far as standard is concerned, for those bands, I think that they, I feel like it was r- not the right call to ban Agent of Treachery and f- not to ban to ban Agent of Treachery. Fires, I can I can get behind as much as I loved Fires Invention. Uh, it was definitely with the cards in Ikoria and with things like Yorion and stuff, definitely not a card that should exist in this format. Um, but Agent of Treachery, I think, definitely did not need to be banned, and only because it a few for I guess for a couple of reasons. It had six. It has six months to go before it, it <laughs> rotates out of standard. Yeah. So it's it's on its way out. Yeah, and generally, I think the cards that should have been banned were Luca and Winota, um, hmm. because. My philosophy is that those cards are cards that limit R&D design space. Um, and if you think about it, right, like, what's the next payoff creature that is going to come out that we're going to be able to use Luca or Winota to abuse? Yeah. So, like, if it's not Agent of Treachery, what's the next card, right? So, we they the basically, Wizards effectively can't print anything that has a powerful ETB um, that's high-costed, um... And, and, and such that it's because you're just gonna you know cheat it into play with Luca. The big problem with Agent of Treachery is that you're able to cheat it into play on turn four or turn five with a great amount of consistency and then steal some steal somebody's lands. And I'm not saying that Agent wasn't a problem, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that the better option is to ban the enablers and not to ban the payoff. Um, so I think that that is something that probably was missed uh, probably missed the mark a bit. Um, but I guess, you know, you have to, these are new cards. I mean, I guess yeah. no cards are immune to getting banned. Oko got banned pretty quickly or fairly, fairly quickly. I, I think it just took a little bit for him to get banned, but he was from the, the current set, the, you know, recent set when he got banned. I think that we will potentially see with, um, Zendikar Rising and Core 2021 coming out, potentially Luca and Winota and or Winota getting banned, um, because, there's going to be some whatever this next new big and top end creature is going to be. We're going to find a way to incorporate it into a, into a Luca or Winota deck and cheat it into play, and then it's going to be a problem. So, I think that's that's one thing for the standard. But for historic, the format that I've actually been more excited to play, um, I absolutely think that uh, yes, Agent of Treachery needed to go in that format 100%. Uh, Fires probably needed to go in that format as well too. But I think they also missed. Um, frankly, missed Winota uh, as as well. Luca, I'm less concerned about um, in that format. But Winota, the that the Winota decks barely got touched in Historic. Mm-hmm. They their their main target to cheat into play is Angrass Rampagers or sorry, Angrass Marauders. Yeah. Um, which is a seven mana four four that says creatures. Whenever a creature you control would like, it deals double damage. Right? Yes. It's Obosh, but for all your creatures. So. You would, you know, on you'd go turn one, Llanowar Elf, turn two, uh, Goblin or Goblin War Boss, right? And then on turn three, you'd go Winota, attack with three things, and get, you know, a Hakdos and two Angrass Marauders and play and kill your opponent on turn three. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the big problem. I think that's the deck that may rise to the very top of the format 
um, and Luca and Winota would have to be banned. I think that they should have banned it um, in in this BNR, and I think they missed missed the mark pretty heavily on that one. Ah, but I so, believe they did ban Winota in Brawl. They did ban it in Brawl. That's true. There was some um, before, but for those exact same reasons. Yeah, for those exact same reasons, uh, they banned it in Brawl because you were able to go and 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 basically cheat into play a very aggressive deck um, very very quickly and kill your opponent very very fast. And 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 in historic Brawl um, and friendly Brawl, you could get the Engrass Marauders and whatnot. And so there was two iterations of the Winota deck in historic. One was playing Agent of Treachery, a singular Agent of Treachery, and mm-hmm. one was playing uh, is not. And, and but both bullets are playing for um, Angras Marauders, right? So I think that they missed the mark on Winota. They're going to eventually see in the next couple of months that that was a, a miss on their part. Uh, they will probably end up banning it, uh, you know, very very quickly um, when you know whatever the next historic. I think there's like an invitational, a mythic invitational, or something like that. That's for um, historic, they'll probably see a lot of of Winota decks, and it's going to be kind of a, a problem. So, but I, I mean, to be, I, I say, I say this because I laddered actually this this season. I laddered to Mythic within in Historic. I went from Platinum Four um, when Historic Anthology Three came out, mm-hmm. and laddered all the way to Mythic with. Um, so I, I laddered from Platinum to Diamond with Tempered Steel. Um, with the with an aggressive tempered steel deck, but I only needed to win like four or five games, and then from there on, throughout diamond into mythic, I laddered with uh, Saltai Yarok, mm-hmm. uh, or sorry, Saltai Field of the Dead, mm-hmm. and that did a really really good job. And then as soon as I got into mythic, I was like, okay, I need to switch over to this Winota deck because it's actually just the best deck. Uh, it's just the most insane deck in the format. So. Yeah, I have, I have. That's I've been playing a ton of historics. So I feel like yeah, they they've really missed a big opportunity to make that format just a little bit more bearable, a little bit better <laughs> by not or by banning Winota. But they just didn't get to get around to that to that one. It seems like when you subvert the basic tenets of Magic, that's when you get into a lot of trouble. So ramp yeah. and cheating things into play, sneak attacking things into play, and so forth. Uh, right. It seems like that's what causes lots of issues because people joke about like, yeah, Magic has Richard Garfield intended, but if you still even go back to Alpha, like, okay, you can have a turn one Mox and uh, Black Lotus and right. do all that amazing stuff, even on turn one. So what is like, as Magic was intended, what what even is that? But right. the tenets of it in basic theory is you play one land per turn, you slowly build up resources to, to a big payoff. So if you say that right. that's basic Magic, okay, then yes, when you start to subvert and do fires of invention stuff, wilderness reclamation stuff, Lucas stuff, Winota stuff. Okay, then you're really subverting subverting the basics of the game. Yeah, and like the problem, I think the biggest thing with uh, with Winota, I think, is that she is so she's too powerful, and that she, her ability does not even rely on her doing anything. Her yeah. her abilities relies on her not being removed from the board on that turn, and uh, it just kind of you just attack with uh, some other creatures and get value. Mm-hmm. Um, like things, for example, like that are similar are something like Perforos, right? The new Perforos from Theros Beyond Death is a, basically kind of a sneak attack, but he has some limitations and he has an activated ability and he costs five. Like there's a lot of ways that the, the, the cards, quote unquote, bad pun are stacked against Theros or, or against Perforos for being a creature 
um, or a card that would see a ton of play because there's just so many costs associated with him. But for Winota, it's just like so quick, so easy to abuse her ability. And then the payoffs are just ridiculously good. Um, so it's, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, like you were saying, you're kind of subverting a lot of the, uh, the mechanics of the game and in a way where it's too easy to do so. It's not even, it's not even just doing it. It's doing it in a, you know, easy and consistent way. Uh, what do you think about the opposite track in terms of wizards printing things that are kind of like answers like, okay, Tail's End was one of my, is one of my favorite counter spells because it targets an activated ability. And there's so many amazing activated abilities to counter, such like even cracking your fabled passage. I love uh, Tail's Ending a fabled, fabled passage to someone. And then there's Repudiate. So that's the double blue or double green that is like a Tail's End half of a, right. half of a card. So what about that? Like maybe some sort of like more taxing effects okay let's say in white there's the uh you know pay two to have your creatures attack sort of effect you know prison prison realm right. sort of thing pr prison whatever it's called but what yeah, do you ghostly prison ghostly prison yeah so what do you think about these sorts of okay instead of banning things what about printing more answers to the possibilities that you have because then that you get into rock paper scissors type of magic for for good or for bad yeah so i think i mean i think printing printing answers is really really difficult because printing printing answers there's a you still have to achieve a um you have to achieve an ever-growing um balance right you have to balance the, the cards out you can't make an answer to a deck so good that it becomes it become it takes over too much right like as an example like i i don't think Oko was like a like a, the answer to anything particular but like just as an example like if Oko was printed as the answer to the plague of standard whatever it was mm -hmm. at the time like then Oko that that's that's the kind of balance you don't want you don't want the card to be way too good so that it answers it just answers too many things right there's there's this balance if you just ban the cards out outright from the set or from the format then the then it's up to the player base and the player community to figure out what's the new meta and what's the new balance but you're not into having to introduce a whole different you know you're not having to figure out a whole new set of balances and a lot of times with some of these inclusions um the the answers are all, are sometimes like fairly weak hmm. actually i know a perfectly good example veil of summer i think veil of summer was a, an answer was an answer to um what was what was the I forget the the deck that was really really prevalent, but Veil of Summer when it was printed, it was effectively heralded as an answer to a particular deck in the standard format, and then it was so good that it got banned. It basically <laughs> it basically shut out all of the blue decks or the black decks in the format, and then it got banned because it was too good. Like mm -hmm. a striving to achieve the balance where you can have an answer that yes answers the thing you're intending it to, but not be so good that it shuts out so many other things is the hard part. So it's it's. If they can achieve it, sure. That's that. I'm all for it. But it's a uh, it's a hard it's a hard thing to achieve. I agree. I think uh, when uh, Wizards hears this episode of the podcast, they're going to have a lot of great uh, things to think about. <laughs> man, I man, if they hear this episode of the podcast, I'm sorry, but I have to. <laughs> I loved all your other standards, Seth. <laughs> Well, they've got to balance waste so much. They've got to look far in the future. They've got to look a little bit in the past. They've got to look at now. They've got to look at limited. They've got to look at constructed. And 
Yeah, it's just a lot to do. I don't. I don't. Yeah. On the one hand, it'd be great to work at Wizards and to be behind the scenes of it all. But on the other hand, you've got so much, so many plates to spin and so much to do. I just want to play Magic. That's true. That's very much, very much true. As much I, I do love, like you know, card design and game design and stuff like that. But there's, there's a lot of history that goes into, into Magic and designing it. Like, it, there's, there's. I will, I will, I will admit there were some very great minds over it at, at, at Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know in in R and D, um, but you know even then, with all the great minds that are there, there are still things that get missed there. So they're not not, you not not you know one small team can take on the world. It's it's yeah. that, you know there are going to be things that are missed. But you know I, all in all, I think they they still do a a really really good job with. And they've been doing a very good job with the the new sets and the standards that have been coming out. I think so. I think the the negativity does perhaps tend to, you know, the voice of negativity tends to rise. But uh, I think in general, everything's working well and there's smart minds in the building and they're going to keep doing cool things and there's new sets to keep looking forward to. So I guess as we wind down, any thoughts, predictions or hopes for, let's look even further than 2021, uh, uh, Zendikar Rising? Um, I don't remember entirely where the last Zendikar block left off. I don't remember if they actually like beat the Eldrazi. I know Emrakul went to uh, the Moon Shadows or to Innistrad. So I'm I think I think that we from what it sounds like Zendikar Rising, it might be kind of the rebuilding of you know of the plane uh, after after the Eldrazi. So we might see a lot of really cool um elemental support synergies um and and potentially like allies um kind of come back as well to some of the, the non like aldrazi focused stuff mm-hmm. um alternatively i think there's also there might also be i think it would be kind of interesting if there was like a phyrexian uh invasion i know th- i know that there was something in theros about phyrexian um there was a card elspeth's nightmare yeah it's one of the sagas, right? I think we had talked about it before, where the art had the Frexian Obliterator on the on the art. Yeah. So that's a that's a line, that's a storyline that's kind of left unresolved. So I'm kind of curious what might happen if that's gonna if that is strictly left to like what's happening on Theros, or if there's something that might even be that maybe that's a premonition of the future, and the Frexians are actually moving their way towards Zendikar. Who knows? But I think yeah, there's there's. I think I'd love to see some really cool like elemental stuff because one of those are that's one of my favorite uh, tribes in mm. uh, in Magic. So yeah, I I was not playing during the original and Return to Zendikar, but from I like to read a lot about the the history of the of the game and kind of look back on things. And other people that have been on the podcast would you know they always tell me about their experiences in those different sets where I was never playing. But um, it seems that. The original Zendikar had a lot of love, and then the yeah. battle for Zendikar a lot less. Um, yeah. And then uh, this third one, well, this would be the example again about perhaps righting the the wrongs or the the things that didn't go right in the last time, and then improving upon the stuff that went well on the first time. Now, however, here's a radical thought: every every set now that they're especially as a like a one and done sort of thing, they definitely seem like they need to have a conflict you know we had the stuff happening with the with the wilds and the civilization in eldraine we had 
the the humans and the beasts in Ikoria. We've got in uh, Theros, we had, uh, you know, Elspeth coming back and she's no longer Sun's champion, she's Sun's nemesis. So here's a radical thought. Do we need every single set to have some sort of huge, big conflict? And I know that good storytelling is often some kind of conflict. But if every set is self-contained, do we need to cram in a big conflict? I know you're saying, okay, well, we had the Eldrazi previously. As I recall, I believe Chandra torched a couple of them, and then Emrakul ended up in the moon. So I, I don't think the Eldrazi are totally gone, but for the moment, they're gone. And yes, the Phyrexians, there's still unresolved stuff, and like, hey, wasn't Karn leaking oil and stuff? And what happened that in Dominaria? And who knows? But I'm just saying, like, that's a possibility. Do we need to have a conflict at every single time? What about just going back to a plane and having some fun times there and being chill and just having some great cards and see what happens? Yeah, yeah. I think there needs to be some threat of story because, I mean, in particular, like, with a, with a plane where there has been previously established storylines, right, there needs to be still some kind of thread through that or, or a, a pickup of this thread. Like, there's a reason that we're going mm -hmm. back there. Um, and, and I would say in maybe... But I, I could definitely see... Um, maybe the conflict doesn't necessarily come in the set per se, and maybe comes as like a setup for the next time we go back to Zendikar potentially. Right? There could be some mm -hmm. things there, but yeah, I'd be curious. That would be very interesting. I'd be very interested to see how they pull that off if there's a set that there's no conflict in. If you kind of think about it like this, remember back to Guilds of Ravnica, even though they had gone now to sort of like the one and done thing, there was Guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica Allegiance, War of the Spark. You can kind of think of them as one final block of, of Ravnica, let's say. And on Ravnica, Guilds of Ravnica, that was just leading into like, okay, there's some stuff going on behind the scenes leading into Ravnica Allegiance. Okay, there's more of it happening. Nicol Bolas's plan is coming together. And then finally, it happens in War of the Spark. So what if Zendikar is like the, let's get back to the Gatewatch. We haven't seen them in Theros. We haven't seen them in Eldraine. Who knows how much we will see in 2021, even though they've said, I guess, Teferi is going to be there. What if uh, Zendikar sort of like the let's get the gang back together again, check in with each other, where are we at, you know, R.I.P. Gideon, but let's come together, be stronger to see what the next threat is. Yeah, so the only... What do we see? We saw... Oh yeah, we haven't seen... Yeah, I guess you're right. We haven't seen the the Gatewatch in a while. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it would definitely be interesting of bringing, of bringing that back together. I think there was even some like potential conflict within the gatewatch before oh, as yeah. well too so that may even mm -hmm. be part of the the plot is that there might be some stuff with the gatewatch so yeah it could be it could be cool to see that mm -hmm. well next time I have you back on the podcast and we're talking about the new set we can look back on our predictions and see how wrong i mean how right we were final thoughts on anything at all as we wrap up no i mean i think i think we're uh, I'm very excited to see what these next new, uh, the next couple, you know, the new standard uh, set turns into, or the next new standard uh, format and historic formats turn into, and mm -hmm. what Core 2021 has to bring. Very excited for this year of Magic. Same here. We're halfway through. We've still got uh, plenty more sets and supplemental products and stuff to enjoy, and hopefully when we get back to a little bit more normalcy, we'll start to play a little bit more Magic in person. Yeah. But in the meantime, we've still got digital Magic and digital means. Well, Alan, um, can you tell people one more time, self-promote, where can we find you online? Yeah, sure. Uh, 
it's uh, twitch.tv slash dragocmtg. Uh, Twitter is at esportsallen. Uh, and then check out Rebel Esports. Uh, their Twitter is rebel underscore gn. Thank you so much. As for myself, I'm on Twitter, I'm on YouTube, Twitch, all that good stuff. Just search for VM Campos. I stream on Saturdays at 8 p.m. Pacific time. I have a Patreon. People can check out the Patreon and follow for free just to be alerted to everything that I do. Um, or if they go to the $1 tier, they'll unlock exclusive stuff. And at the $2 tier, I will mail people vintage magic cards in appreciation. But no, not a Black Lotus. <laughs> So thanks one more time, Alan, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena.